Well, good morning. Good to see everybody. I think I pretty much saw everybody out in the lobby as you're coming in. Uh, we've got a, a new member of our church family, Julia Dawn Wolf, and she's here today. Yeah, so uh, make sure you, you talk with Logan and Courtney, and uh, little Julia showed up on Wednesday, so uh, good stuff. A uh, little dinker, um, so, and she's got like perfect lips. It's like, you look, oh, you know, I know I'm kind of a tough guy, but uh, sometimes, you know, kids get me, you know. <laughs> Anyways, <clears throat> well, so we're on the road to the cross with, with Jesus Christ. Remember, he's on his way to Jerusalem last week. He kind of made his turn to head down to Jerusalem, knowing that he's going to be arrested. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be hung on a cross. The, the Disciples didn't quite hear this, but he's also said, hey, I'm going to rise again the third day. So, but again, they weren't really catching that part of it. But he's doing all of this for the purpose of securing for you and me the forgiveness of our sins, a relationship with God, and the eternal consequences of our sin removed. To remove from us, from over our head, the fact that we are on our way to an eternity in hell because of our sin. The sin that we've committed against others and not against God. And so we learned last week that he's the only one who can do this. And again, we want him to be the one who can do this because he's 100% God and he's 100% man. He's perfect man. He lived the perfect life and we need both. We need God's forgiveness and we need this perfect life that Jesus Christ, or God, gives to us through faith in Christ. And Jesus said last week that he's building his church. In other words, he's, he's taking people from, from the world. He's calling them out. That's what the church means, called out ones. He's calling them out from the world, how the world thinks, how the world responds to life, to situations, to people, the road that, that they're on. On their way to hell, he's calling them out and into a relationship with him. And then through faith in him, we have the God and the Holy Spirit come into our lives. God forgives us of our sin. The Holy Spirit remains with us. We become citizens of heaven, is one way the Bible calls it. We're children of God. We're adopted into his family. Again, there's, uh, he's our master. We're his servants. There's a lot of different ways it puts it, but the point is we're into a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, the disciples have confessed by this time that they believe that Jesus Christ is God and that he is their deliverer, both the deliverer as Israel, the nation's deliverer, but also a deliverer from their sins. And so in Jesus, like, okay, well, I'm on my way to Jerusalem. These things are going to take place. I need to prepare my disciples for taking over the mission of sharing this message with the world. And so he begins to teach uh, them more. I mean, the, the, the crowds are going to hear this, but he's really focusing in on the disciples, making sure that they have what they need to be the ones to carry the message. And the key to the message, to this mission, is forgiveness. Right? The the fact that we're bringing to the world, to people in our lives who don't know Christ, that, hey, God wants to forgive you of your sins, your past sins, your current sins, and the, any sin that you might commit in the future. And that Jesus died for those sins, and He wants you 
to have forgiveness. And we love that, right? Those of us who have made that decision, have placed our faith in Christ, we love the fact that God has forgiven us of all the crud that's in the back of our lives, you know, that, that has led up to where we're at today, where we place our faith in Christ. And, and we love the fact that He's forgiving us of our sin even now, today. And any sin that we might commit, we love the fact that He's forgiven us of that. Man, thank you, God. Thank you so much. But then, now as a child of God, as a citizen of heaven, as one who follows Jesus Christ, a term that Jesus used last week, he says, now I want you to represent me. I, I want you to now demonstrate who I am to others, and I want you to forgive them. We don't like that one so much, right? That's just, yeah. God, thank you for forgiving me, but... Now you want me to forgive other people. Lord, I don't think you know what they've done to me. Lord, I don't know if you know the hurt that I've experienced. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18, and we're going to start in verse 21. Last week, we talked about the fact that when Jesus told them, hey, this is what I'm going to do, Peter's like, no, Jesus, don't, no, God forbid, which is kind of a funny term. He's talking to God. You know, but anyways, God forbid that you do that. We're not going to let that happen to you. And Jesus says, hey, hey, Satan, get behind me. What he means by that is not saying that he's possessed. He's saying, hey, you're thinking like Satan. You're thinking like someone who doesn't follow me. You're thinking like someone who hasn't, who doesn't understand what the mission is that I'm doing. He says, you're thinking about man's interests and not God's interests. He's thinking like someone who's not has not placed her faith in Jesus Christ. And then Jesus went on to explain to both Peter and the rest of the disciples that if you're a follower of Christ, you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ at that moment of salvation. And again, a lot of us don't know that because when we share the, the gospel message people, we can't hit every single little detail, right? So we put our faith in Christ, and then as we as we spend time in, God, in, uh, in God's Word, reading it and praying and taking notes about what we're reading and writing down questions we might have about the Bible, and we go to somebody who knows more than us and we ask them, hey, what does this mean? And as we spend time together with our church family, because now we're part of a, a spiritual family called the church or God's family, and as we do that and as we get together for Bible study and we study the Bible a little more de- in detail than we do on a Sunday morning, but all that just is... Flowing in us, and we're starting to understand where we talked about this yesterday at the men's leadership group. We start connecting the dots and how things actually come together and work together, and it makes more sense. But what Jesus says a follower has made a, a, a determined choice to deny themselves, not to deny themselves something to eat, to deny themselves who they are, how they think about life, how they think they should respond to life, how they think they should respond to relationships, how they think they should respond in their marriages, how they think they should respond to their parents or parents to kids or your coworker or your boss or your neighbor, you know, all of that. He says you're going to deny yourself and you're going to take up your cross. And the disciples knew when he said take up your cross, he meant crucifixion. He didn't mean you're going to suffer. It means you need to die. Die to the way you think you should do life. 
We've got nine people since January who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. We're only into March. You know, that's awesome. And so I just really quickly, for those of you here who are, who are those nine, and for anybody else who needs to hear this, this is, this is like added information. I'm not even charging you for it. This is free. Some of you guys know I get paid by the word. This is free words. Okay, so when you, when you gave your life to Jesus Christ, you who have done it here the last few months, you gave him your life. We who have placed our faith in Christ over the last years, I did it when I was four years old. I didn't understand everything. I understood that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and I grabbed hold of that. I gave him my life at four years old. And so now the responsibility for all of us is to think the way Jesus thinks, which we learn from the Bible, we learn from being a part of our church family, and to live the way he says to live. Because no longer about us. Because in that is this abundant life that Jesus talks about in, the, in this life of confidence, this life of promise, this life of uh, working hard for Christ. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. We, we don't talk about easy necessarily around here. But it's worth it. It's awesome when we see people turn to Christ and see their lives being transformed. It's worth it. Jesus went to the cross for us. We can suffer a little bit for him. And then just one other thing. The, the people who have prayed with these people, the reason why it happened was not because the people bringing the message were some sort of spiritual giant, that they were like a whole other level. It's because they asked this question, and I know this because I know the people who led these people to Christ. They asked this question. Where will you go when you die? Now, that wasn't very hard. I don't know how many words that is, but it's not very difficult to ask somebody, where would you go when you die? And in most cases, the person says, well, I'm not really sure. Or, I hope I'd go to heaven. And then the person would ask, after that, would you like to know for sure? Yeah. And then they told them about who God is and who Jesus is and the fact that they're separated from God because of their sin and that Jesus died on the cross so that they would have their sins forgiven if they just prayed to accept Christ as their Lord and Savior. And then the person led them in that prayer. Isn't that awesome? Asking a question. We can all ask that question. It doesn't matter how spiritual you think you are or how spiritual you actually are. It doesn't matter. We can all ask that question of somebody. A family member, a friend, co-worker. Hey, if you were to die, not that we want you to die. <laughs> you know, I always do that. If you were to die tonight, not that we want you to die tonight. I'm just saying. But if you were, where would you spend eternity? Well, I'm not really sure. I asked a couple of people who were going uh, want to be baptized that question. They're like, heaven? How do you know? Because I prayed to accept Jesus Christ. Almost like, pastor doesn't know this answer. But I gotta, you know, no, 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 I know the answer. I just say, I want to see if you know the answer. You know. So I prayed to accept Christ. At the, no, I'm just kidding. Um, I'm kidding. Anyways, I, I just wanted to throw all that out. Free advice. 
So this issue of forgiveness is one of those things that's hard for us to step back from our opinion of what we think we should or shouldn't do if someone's hurt us and to say, God, I'm going to take a step of faith and I'm going to do it the way you said for me to do it. This, I'm telling you, I know, I've been there. This is hard. I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but it's something that we need to take a step of faith and we need to do it God's way because there is a way to work through forgiveness. So that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. So let's just jump right into it. So Peter starts the ball rolling. Good old Peter. Peter is asking questions. So he asks Jesus this question. He says, Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Way to go, Peter. Seven times. That's pretty good, right? I thought it was. But anyways, you guys are all like... Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but I say 70 times seven. Now, I wanted to make sure that... Nobody had to do any math this morning. Um, so that is 490. I checked the calculator. 490. So Peter's like, hey, if my brother sins against me, now he's talking you know, about another follower of Christ, but this we know from Scripture, this is anybody that we need to be forgiving. So we're going to kind of spread it open a little bit further. So whether it's a Christian or a non-Christian person forgiving, Peter says, hey, I want to do it twice as much as the Pharisees tell me I should do it. The Pharisees said, if somebody sins against you, forgive them three times. On the fourth one, sorry, no forgiveness here. You're gone. Bye-bye. And Jesus says, no, no. Get a ledger and put the names of the people in your life. And when they get to 491, keep track. When they get to 491, now you don't have to forgive them anymore. Isn't that awesome? So I don't know if you guys have a ledger. I do. Um, it's on my phone. I've got a notes section with all your names on it. I don't know. I'm just kidding. No, Jesus is not saying at 491 we cut people off. His point is we forgive people always. Anytime someone sins against us, Jesus is saying, I want you to forgive them. Ouch! I've, like I said, I've been there. I, I, I've had people who have hurt me. I'm the one who was called Hitler on Facebook by church people. I kind of took it. I've been. I was going to say I kind of took it as a compliment, but it's Hitler, you know. So I don't want to be like it's a compliment. But they were upset about some of the things that we were doing at this particular church. All the things that we're doing here at this particular church. Teaching from God's word. Wanting to see people come to Christ. Calling people, saying, hey, you need to... Christians, hey, you need to do life God's way. And for that, I was called Hitler. Whatever. Um, it was hurtful at the time. Today, I look back and I go, that's kind of funny. Because um, I get to tell you guys that story. But what does Jesus mean by forgive? This is crucial. If you don't hear anything else, as, a, as pastors are... You know, say, hear this, understand what Jesus means by forgive. All right? So the word forgive 
means to release from legal or moral consequence, to, to cancel debt. Now, it does not mean forgetting. How do I know that? Well, because the definition told me that. And that's the biblical definition, not Daniel Webster's definition. That's the biblical definition. How I know that, besides that, is because God is all-knowing. Which means God, God knows everything that has happened, that is happening, that will happen, and even stuff that probably won't happen. He still knows those things. Yeah, he's all-knowing. So he can't forget when we've sinned against him. The Bible says, you know, as far as the east is from the west, but that's still not forgetting because God still remembers. And we can't forget when somebody has sinned against us. I haven't forgotten that somebody called me Hitler. Now, over the years, because I've matured and grown up a little bit, and, and I've seen what God's done in my life, and I understand Scripture a little bit better, I look at it and go, yeah, it happened. Good to know. But it doesn't impact me. It's not an emotional drain on me or a frustration anymore. Why? Because God's worked me through it. Now, if I saw that person again, I would just go up and give him a real big hug. You know, I just heap, I would, it's heap coals of fire. I just love you. Um, Holy kiss, Jesus said so. We should maybe go, no, okay. We've got vacation time coming up, Kim. We should, okay. So, so it's not forgetting. It's also not trusting someone. It's putting boundaries around you. It's not letting somebody continue to come into your life and hurt you. Or you inviting them back into your life. Wow, you see that a lot. A person has hurt another person. And then they just go, hey, come on back in. What are you doing? Put boundaries around yourself. You don't have to trust them. You have to forgive them. You don't have to trust them. And then what's cool about some of those boundaries, some of the things you can put into place is say, okay, uh, you want forgiveness? Great. You've hurt me like 15, 16 times. I do have my ledger. I'm trying to get rid of that ledger. Then, okay, before that happens, I, want, I need you to do some certain things. I don't trust you. And if you want my relationship, which I want a relationship too, but if you want my relationship, then I need you to do some things so I know I can trust you. Well, if that person is worth having a relationship with, they'll do the things necessary. But it is choosing to not hold it against them, to hold a grudge. When you think of them, to get built up with anger and irritation and frustration. Jesus elsewhere tells us we need to pray for our enemies. So we talked about a few, I guess it was three weeks ago, whatever, pray without ceasing. Well, here it is. You, you, somebody comes to mind who you're angry with, you pray for God to bless them. You thank them, thank God for them. And for what you're learning through this experience that he's teaching you. So you don't hold it against them. It is leaving the door open for restoration. It's allowing them to actually still communicate potentially with you. Potentially with you. As long as they can handle whatever thing you put up here to build trust back. We're not shutting them out. We're not burning bridges. 
we're leaving the door open for when they truly want to repent and want to restore. So there's a lot in that word. And I, and I think we, we te- have a tendency to add more to it than what is there. But that's how we need to be responding. So then Jesus goes on to tell the parable of why what he says matters. Remember, so what Jesus says and why it matters. So here's what Jesus said. Now, why does it matter? Before I read it, I just want to give you some important information. First of all, purpose of parables. Parables, uh, Jesus teaches uh, to give just like a, just uh, one spiritual truth. It doesn't have a bunch of different spiritual truths. There's one spiritual truth we're supposed to pull out of this. It may have some different applications. Uh, so you might be forgiving your spouse, or you might be forgiving a friend, or, you know, different applications, but there's, there's one spiritual truth. And not every detail has a spiritual element to it. Because there's going to be somebody I read here, you're going to be like, whoa! What's, what's God going to do to me? And then the parts of the parable. So I'm going to give you the parts of the parable right now. So as I read it, you're going to keep these things in your mind. All right? So the kingdom of heaven, uh, that's what, um, what heaven looks like on this side of heaven, if you want to put it that way. This is how Christians live. This is how the church operates. People in the church, people who are part of the church. This is what Christians do. The king is God. The debt is our sin against God or others' sin against us, because there's two parts of this as we move forward. Slaves, those are those, uh, we who pre- profess to follow Christ. All right, he's our master, we're his slave, bond servant, different ways Scripture teaches it. And then the torturers, that's the emotional and spiritual consequences of unforgiveness, and I'll explain more about that when we get there. It's kind of a cool aspect of this. And then the point of the parable. So again, I'm giving you everything ahead of time, So you have it, and then as we read the scripture, hopefully it all lays in there. So the point of the parable, Christians are to always forgive others, especially other Christians, right? would make sense, because we're part of the same spiritual family. We're going to spend eternity together. (laughs) You may want to get that figured out here on this side of earth, or this side of heaven. Especially Christians, because they understand how much God has forgiven them. We understand, right, better than anybody else, how wretched and unlovable and how bad we are and how much God has forgiven us. We know. And so because of that, we should be willing to forgive others. All right, so having said that, let's get on with the parable Jesus is telling. He said, now for this reason, the fact that we are continually to forgive others, the kingdom of heaven, or life as a Christian, Christ follower, may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Now, 10,000, that's the largest number in ancient Greek. They couldn't go beyond that. This was it. This was a large number. Some people have tried to do the whole thing. It's like $10 million, or it's like the, you know, the GDP of a mid-sized country. Whatever the point is, it's uncountable. There is no way this guy would ever repay the debt that he owes the king. And what Jesus is trying to tell you and me is our sin against God is uncountable. I'll explain why when we get there. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife. So this is where I'm saying, okay, God's not going to sell off our family. All right. So this is one of these details that not necessarily a spiritual side to it. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had, and repayment to be made. So the slave fell on the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, 
And I will repay you everything. No, you won't. You're a slave. I mean, they did actually make some money back then, but... And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt, this uncountable amount of money. But that slave went out. He found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. He owed him three months' wage. And he seized him and began to choke him, yikes, saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, have patience with me. So he says the same thing as the slave one, and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then uh, summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. You, didn't, you couldn't pay it back. You simply pleaded with me. You just simply asked, Please forgive me. Should, I, should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? The answer is yes. And his Lord, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you, Christians, if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Wow! People say, ah, being a Christian, you just have a crutch. You just need something to get through life. That's not it. I don't know about you. That's hard. To be a Christian is hard. To follow Jesus is hard. And Jesus is putting it right in our face. This is a hard thing. Jesus going to the cross was a hard thing. Let's not whitewash. Let's not sterilize what the Bible says about Jesus hanging on a cross. Maybe research it a little bit to find out what he went through for you and me. And he's asking us just to forgive some people who have hurt us. Now remember, Jesus is building his church. He's drawing people from the world to himself for salvation, and we are the ones he's using to do that. And so he wants us to represent Christ to do for them what Christ did for us. And so that's the context here. So the people who have hurt us, we don't look at them as enemies. We look at them as people who need Jesus Christ. They're only acting that way because they don't know any better. Maybe we should have that mindset rather than thinking that they're enemies of ours. Why? Because we used to respond the exact same way. So let's... Let's look at them and see them as people who just need Jesus Christ. And even if they're a believer, hey, let's look at them as as a brother or sister in Christ who needs some encouragement and some help. So there's four things that come out of here about why it matters. The first one is because God has forgiven us an infinitely large sin debt. See, when we sin against each other, that debt is only there as long as you or I are alive. And then it's gone, because there's nothing you can do about it at that point. You can't pass it on to the family. It happened between two individuals. But when we sin against God, He's eternal, and he's in- He will always exist. So when we sin against Him, our sin always exists. That's why we spend an eternity in hell. That's why there's not an annihilation. 
We don't stop existing when we die. We just exist either in heaven or in hell. In, in hell, it's eternal and, and infinite, if you want to put it that way. See, we, we don't think our sin is so bad. Everybody else's sin, bad. Can't believe them. Oh, but we don't think our sin is so bad. You know, after all, I mean, we're really nice people, and we're really trying to be good to people. It's, they keep on doing stuff that makes me act that way. It's, on the, you know, it's that kind of thinking. But our sin is bad. One, oh my God, you just did that once in your life. That's an infinite sin against an infinite God. Jesus Christ, that's an infinite Sin against an infant. If you did nothing else, you've lived a perfect life after that. Why? Because you lose, use the Lord's name in vain. You don't throw God's name around like it's something. OMG, we know what you're saying. You're not saying, oh my gosh. I'm just making a point of what it means to sin against an eternal God, an infinite God. Now, think about all the stuff we have done that's we would say is worse than that. Cheating, lying, stealing, hurting, beating, stomping on people, emotionally, physically. Man, we've, we've done a lot of bad things. And God's forgiven us through what Jesus Christ did when he went to the cross for you and me. Jesus took God's wrath was pummeled and put on a cross. Thank the Lord that he rose on the third day because then he defeated our sin and he defeated hell. But he had to take the abuse first. Without him, we're in a world of hurt. But we've turned to him and he's freed us from that debt because we couldn't repay it. He's not saying, hey, go take care of yourself first and then come to me. No, he takes us as we are. Second, Unforgiveness closes the door to restoration. Remember, our job for being here on this earth is to draw people to Jesus Christ. Because if it wasn't, then just take us to heaven. But he doesn't. He leaves us here. Why? Well, we've talked about it. So we become more like Jesus Christ. He wants us to grow to maturity. But as we grow to maturity and become more like Jesus Christ, it'll draw more people to us. So then we can tell them about Jesus Christ. And more people can come to Christ and he can continue to build his church. It's awesome. That's why you go to work today or tomorrow. Well, some of you guys might go today. But that's why you go to work. That's why you're in the family you're in now. That's why you're in the neighborhood you're in now. That's why you're part of our church family. All that's because God wants to use you to draw people to Him for salvation. But when we don't forgive somebody, we're shutting them off. It closes the door to restoration. It closes the door for God to use us to draw them to Him. If you're a Christian, for further growth, a Christian means Christ one. It's people who live like Jesus Christ, people who walk like Jesus Christ. Like Jesus said last week, those who follow me, that's that present active, you remember? Day in, day out, no matter what the circumstance, no matter how we're feeling and what we're thinking, we do life God's way. We do it the way Jesus says to do it. And so that's what we do. Third reason why it matters is 
Unforgiveness hurts others. Kind of goes along with the second one. The other slaves, when they saw that, they were, they, it says they were deeply grieved. That word deeply has this idea that there's a, um, uh, a scale from 1 to 10. 1 not being so bad, 10 being really bad. And they're at a 9. And they're sorrowful and they're distressed. The people around, people who are unforgiving, they're just like, oh man, what are they doing? What are they doing to themselves? Why are they doing that? They're just hurting themselves. Don't they understand that? See, unforgiveness will impact your spouse, will impact your children, will impact your parents, will impact your coworkers, your friends, your Christian friends, your non-Christian friends, your neighbors, people who are around you, people who see that. They're going to be impacted by it. One of the greatest deterrents to people turning to Jesus Christ are Christians who don't forgive. We have a tendency, by the way, if we're not forgiving, that'll come out in conversation. And people will know that we're not forgiving so-and-so. Because we'll talk about how bad that person is or what they've done to us and how they responded to us. And people get it. But they're like, wait a second. Wait, you say you're a Christian. So you say that, let me get this straight. You say that you've placed your faith in Christ, and because of that, God forgave you of your sin. And that, because they know Christians a lot better than some Christians do. And then Jesus said, I think I remember hearing this somewhere, maybe on TV or something, that you're supposed to forgive other people and you're not. Well, I don't want any part of that. There's a, another word we use is hypocrite. Well, I don't want to. I don't want to be worship a God whose people who worship Him. Don't do what he tells them to do. The final one is unforgiveness only hurts us, not the other person. The other person has hurt us, and they probably don't want necessarily to be even around us. So us being, hey, don't want anything to do with it, it's going to make their life maybe even better. And so the unforgiveness only hurts us. Normally, these kinds of parables ends with Jesus saying, you know, someone died or somebody was thrown into outer darkness, or somebody was thrown into fiery hell. Because what he's saying in those parables is, this person who's professing to be a Christian, potentially, is demonstrating by their life that they have not placed their faith in Christ, because they're not doing life God's way. Because of that, they're still under sin, and because of that, if, if and when they die, they'll spend eternity in hell. Unless, of course, they turn to Christ. This one doesn't say that. This one says that the, he was uh, handed over to torturers. Why? Well, because what Jesus, is trying, Jesus is talking to his followers. And here's the cool thing. When Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, he died for our sins that were past, current, and future. He died for the current unforgiveness in our heart. So in that sense, if you were to die even without forgiving somebody, you would still go to heaven. Why? Because Jesus Christ died for your sins, past, present, and future. God does not remove you from his family. You don't lose your salvation if you sin. What happens? You lose the intimacy of relationship. And what happens is if we have sin in our lives, and in this case we're talking about unforgiveness, if we're saying, no, God, I don't want to do this, God the Holy Spirit's in us. And so God the Holy Spirit's going to convict us. Why? Because God wants us to become more like Jesus Christ. He doesn't want to stay in that situation. So He's going to make it difficult on us emotionally, 
spiritually, mentally, it's going to sit in our hearts. It's going to sit, and we're going to try to forget it. We're going to start doing other things. We're going to talk about how great life is. But man, alone at night, trying to sit down and reading the Bible, is going to come to our minds. Come to our minds. Why? Because we've got to confess it. And we've got to repent of it. And we've got to offer forgiveness to this individual. That word means a guard in prison or oppressive jailer. And so the Holy Spirit is going to be one who convicts us. Kind of a funny thing happened this morning. Um, I was getting ready in my office and I was just, you know, get, grab my Bible. And I noticed there was a piece of uh, a sticky note sticking out of my Bible back in the Old Testament. What's that doing here? So I open up and it's a note from Sarah, my daughter. Aww. So she wrote this encouraging note, which is, you know, what she often does. And just telling me how awesome I am and just, you know, all that kind of good stuff. I think she wants money, but that's beside the point. So <laughs> she, uh, so it was, it was sitting there. I'm like, well, I need to move that, you know. So it's sticky. So I gently tore it from my Bible because I've got a new Bible right now. And so I didn't want to mess it up. And so when I pulled it up, it was Isaiah 45, 9. And it says this, <laughs> Woe to you who quarrel with your maker. The, pot, the pottery doesn't say to the potter how they should be created or formed. Or I'm like, wait, is she telling me something? Did she actually, or was that just the Lord kind of... So I'm taking it that Sarah was not trying to give me a message. Um, but I just thought it was kind of a weird thing, you know. So, woe to you who quarrel with your maker. Man, you guys, listen. If there is somebody in our life, and I, and I get it, I've heard some just really tough stories of how people in our church family have been hurt. So I'm not trying to make light of this at all. I get it. But Jesus going to the cross to pay for your eternal, infinite amount of sin was far worse. And he did it so that you could be forgiven by God, so that we could spend eternity in heaven with him. And here on earth, he just wants us to leave the door open for restoration for that person. Because what awesome thing would be if the Lord would allow it for that person then to come to Christ and have their sin forgiven. It may or may not happen, I get that, but we don't have to worry about it. We just take the step of faith, and in our hearts, or even to the person if necessary, to say, hey, listen, I forgive you. God's forgiven me, and I forgive you. Uh, we're not going to be covering this, but if you are to read further, the next thing that Jesus talks about is he teaches the disciples about marriage and divorce. That weird, interesting place, right? Now again, interesting stuff that Jesus is talking to his disciples about now that he's turned to head toward Jerusalem. There are some things that he's teaching his disciples. You'd be kind of like, why would you be talking about that? Why marriage and divorce? You know, it's kind of interesting. But it comes right after that. We're not going to get into it. I just thought it was an interesting point there that you can do with what you want. But what are our, what are our takeaways? And I'm, as the band comes up and I close us out this morning, Oh, they're there. Okay. Um, just a couple things. First of all, the obvious question is, who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to just say, God, forgive me for withholding forgiveness from them? And 
Give me the strength to forgive them. Now listen, it's not necessarily going to happen overnight. There's a, there's a process through which that you need to walk in order excuse me, to, to do this. And so I'm here for you. Other Christians who have gone through this and kind of worked through this, they're here for you. This is something you need God's spirit, God's word, God's family to be a part of. So don't worry about reaching out. Do it. Send me a text. Shoot me an email. Talk to Kim. Set up a time to come in and talk. Or if you know other people in our church who have gone through that, who do you need to forgive? And then secondly, commit to show Christ and keep the door open to the potential for restoration. Leave them in God's hands. Let God deal with them. He can do it far better than you and I could ever do it. Let him have a crack at them, and you give them over to God. Ben? Church, let's stand.